Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedeckes. And now get ready to think. All right. Well, I'm now unmuted. I just realized I was muted and been doing that a lot lately. Uh, I've got this new setup here. So all around me right now, there's a light over here, a light here, got a new camera, new microphone, still kind of getting used to everything. And sometimes I forget to hit that mute button. So um, I'm also streaming in 1080p right now, whereas before I was streaming in 720. So if you can see me clearly, uh, let me know. If you can hear me clearly, let me know. Um, look, I, look at this. I can I can switch between standard and widescreen. I actually kind of like that a little bit better. You can see my ugly mug a little closer up. But uh, today we are be responding to someone on Twitter, um, or rather responding to someone from Twitter, and that is J.D. Greer, the president of the SBC. Now, a uh, quick housekeeping item. If you're listening via the podcast, first of all, thank you for listening. And can I just ask you to go ahead and leave us an honest five-star rating and review? Oh, no. Am I frozen? Looks like I'm frozen. Hmm. All right. Well, it looks frozen to me. Um, if it's not frozen to you, let me know. I'm going to switch my cam here for a second. And we're back. Okay, so this is not good. This is the old, this is just the laptop camera, but I'm going to try and switch back and maybe it'll be unfrozen for me. Uh, yep, okay, good. We got it back. Now, uh, this is the beauty of the audio is that I can, can edit everything out. So it looks like we're back. And um, if you're watching this in real time, God bless you. Thanks for bearing with me. Um, but this is not something that I normally do. I don't normally... Um, address Christians via, you know, social media and, and respond to what they're talking about. Um, you know, we do a lot of apologetics and not really as much polemics, if you will. Some people make a distinction between those two. I don't always, but some people do. And, um, but the recent fracas on Twitter, I thought was at least important enough for me to respond, especially for one important reason, and that is this. The fracas involves the SBC president, J.D. Greer, who has been taking a lot of heat on Twitter. And as we're going to see, I think I do think some of that heat is justifiable, but he's been taking a lot of this heat. And the reason why I want to address it is I'm kind of SBC now. My wife and I have been going to an SBC church. Some of you might be shocked by that. Some of you are like, man, I figured you were already SBC. Well, I've been saying for a long time that I am basically SBC at heart. Um, and I've got a lot of friends that are SBC. Even when I was a, a pastor at a church in Chicago, one of the guys that I was working with is former SBC. I just, I have got a lot of camaraderie with the SBC and have for a lot of years. But I'm going to an expressly BC church lately, and we're not members yet. I think actually I'm still technically a member at my old church. Not, not I think. I, I am, unless they've revoked my membership because I haven't been there. But 
soon, Lord willing, I will be a member at an SBC church. And I think that that gives me uh, all the rights and privileges of uh, SBC hood, Southern Baptist hood, which I think is the ability to um, to critique other Baptists, Southern Baptists. Oh, wait, no, exact opposite. That's right. The 11th commandment says we're not supposed to do that. So because I'm not officially SBC yet, but I'm kind of SBC, I'm going to um, turn my guns, as it were, on J. Greer and other friendly guns because I, he's a brother in Christ. And once I become SBC, he'll be my president, I think. I think that's sort of how it works. But um, as a brother in Christ, I want to address what he said, not only because I'm sort of becoming SBC, but also because I think that some people are throwing Greer under the bus unnecessarily. And I want to I want to address that. So I sort of, I want to sort of help him out here. But then also there were some of the things that he said that were kind of confusing. And so if you're looking for clarity, I'm hoping to bring some clarity into the situation. And this is not going to be long. I, I think this whole preamble is probably the longest um, individual section of this podcast. So um, let's go ahead and get into it. I want to talk about why so many Christians, including myself, have a problem with J.D. Greer's tweet. I want to talk about how the tweet fits into a troubling trend and downgrade, including Greer's recent comments on the Bible, quote unquote, whispering about sexual sin. Some of you may remember that. I also want to talk about what what the inaccuracies are in Greer's tweet and what Jesus actually said, whether he did or did not say we should take up his cross, but not his teachings and his moral code. More on that in a second. And then why I understand that J.D. Greer, or what he is trying to do and why he needs to be careful. And then how clarifications actually help out quite a bit and, and why this is actually very good. Um, and then I'm going to talk about two major takeaways. So um, if you're watching via Facebook, go to facebook.com slash yard and entering your permissions there so I can see who's commenting because I've got um, a number of people who are commenting and it just is just coming up as Facebook user. Look, I'm putting it on the screen there. See, it just says Facebook user. So I don't know who you are unless you grant StreamYard those permissions through Facebook. So go to facebook.com slash StreamYard and enter in the permissions. StreamYard is what I'm using to broadcast right now. So so please do that, and then I'll be able to know who's commenting. All right. Now, without any further ado, let's get into it. So J.D. Greer's tweet. At the time of my preparing this episode, which I did this morning, had 973 likes, 369 comments. So that's quite a lot. And... um it's so so it's popular. He's not, he's not getting ratioed. It wouldn't be right to say that he's getting ratioed, but there's definitely a lot of consternation, a lot of concern. I think we could say fairly, and that's because look, here's here's his tweet. Here's what he says. Okay, let me let me go ahead and remove that and then add it back to the stream here. Okay, here's what he says. Um, he says Jesus doesn't say quote, take up my teachings and follow me, or take up my moral code. He says, take up my cross. And um, this this is the tweet that's led to all this fracas. Now, I want to talk about what he said. 
So, um, it, and, and why so many people have a problem with this. First of all, it looks like Greer is saying that Jesus does not command his followers to take up his, uh, to take up his teachings, um, or, or to think that believing his teachings or obeying his commands are essential to following him. Instead, what it looks like is it looks like that Greer is saying that Jesus wants us to, quote, take up my cross, end quote, instead of those things. It looks as though Greer is is pitting taking up your cross against taking up Christ's teachings or his moral code. So obviously a lot of Christians are going to have a problem with this. You know, it wasn't that long ago, maybe six, seven, eight years ago, there was this big controversy in the evangelical church. I know I said the E word, but um, over this idea of lordship salvation versus easy believism. And um, there was this big question of, do we have to repent and make Jesus Lord, or is it enough that he we just think of him as Savior? And um, and here it almost sounds like Greer is saying, you know, you don't have to make Jesus your Lord. You don't have to to believe his teachings or believe or obey his moral code. You can just take up his cross, whatever that means. And of course, it's a tweet, so he doesn't specify uh, being limited in in uh, how many characters he has, two hundred eighty characters. So. It also, it really seems like he's downplaying teachings and morality of Jesus, and he's pitting those against taking up my cross, as Greer puts it, which, again, Greer does not define. Now, the second reason, so that that's, that's uh, troublesome to begin with. The second reason why a lot of Christians are up in arms is because Greer has recently been making troubling statements, and it appears that this trend, this tweet rather, was part of a trend toward a downgrade. Now, uh, Pastor Gabe over at WWUT, what or when we understand the text, he said this in an article that he wrote in 2019. He pointed out that Greer preached to his congregation that, quote, we ought to whisper about what the Bible whispers about, and we ought to shout about what it shouts about. And the Bible appears to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. All right. So really, <laughs> this is not the this is not the statement of Greer's that I'm addressing today, but I think it's just really important to go to the Bible itself and see that Greer is not being accurate in that statement that the Bible whispers about sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Hebrews 13.14 says, let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Matthew 5.28 says that if you look with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Uh, Leviticus 18.22 says you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Abomination is not exactly whispering, I don't think. It sounds like shouting to me. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.9-11 says that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Proverbs 6.32 says that the one who commits adultery, which is obviously sexual sin, destroys himself. Destroys himself. Um, that is hardly whispering. And then the, the scripture goes on and on and on. It talks about how um, when the Israelites committed sexual immorality, 
23,000 of them fell in a single day. In other words, meaning they were killed. So God takes sexual sin very seriously. Now, why am I talking about that when that's not the statement that I'm analyzing here from Greer? The reason why is this. I want to I, I want us all to be convinced of the idea that when a, pre, a preacher or a pastor, even a prominent pastor, even a, a, a denominational president or um, an organizational president, SBC is not technically a denomination, makes a statement that you feel just doesn't quite sit right in your spirit, in your soul. If you want to know whether there's anything to that feeling, you have to go to scripture itself. Don't go to me. I mean, you can go to me. You can send me. I mean, I've had people send me emails, messages, but what I want to do is I want to then direct you back to scripture. All right. Um, uh, I see Michael J. Hosky is, is commenting. Mike, thanks for watching. Um, and I'll put your comment up in a few minutes, but, uh, you know, Michael J. Hosky, a scholar, a Tolkien scholar. Um, now if I have a question about uh, well, since he's a Tolkien scholar, since if I have a question about Tolkien, you know, I, I could go to Michael J. Hosky, J. Hosky, and I could say, uh, hey, you know, what did Tolkien mean by this? But I know that J. Hosky would direct me toward the actual text, right? If you have a question about something that a Bible teacher is saying, go to the actual text. And sometimes it's going to corroborate what the preacher is saying, and you're going to be wrong. I'm going to be wrong. And that pit in our stomach is going to turn out to be wrong. Other times, there's going to be a lot more to it. And uh, it's going to turn out that those um, those concerns were actually valid. So, you know, we need to go to the text. And, I, and that's why I wanted to bring up that old statement from J.D. Greer. I also wanted to bring that up because without going into as much detail, Greer has said other things lately that show a potential maybe even a pronounced leftward drift toward a new Protestant liberalism or, or progressive Christianity. I'm not throwing Greer under the bus. I'm not throwing him out of the church. I wouldn't even have the authority to do that. I'm not saying he's apostatized or apostatized, whichever one of those is correct. But he has made some troubling statements that I think a lot of Christians are, are sort of holding in the back of their mind when they're reading this tweet. For example, on May 5th, 2018, Greer expressed his desire to, quote, tear down all hierarchy. Does that sound like a Christian thing? Does, does that sound biblical? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that there's, there's hierarchy in the Bible. Even within the church, there's hierarchy. Um, he also recently accused churches who are opposing critical race theory of being more welcoming to closet racists and, quote, neo-Confederates than, quote, people of color, end quote. That's a little troubling because is that true? Or is Greer sort of tipping his hand a little bit that he's buying into this progressive, woke uh, brand of you know, this, this new incarnation of Protestant liberalism or progressive Christianity. See, a lot of Christians have these questions in the back of their mind, and now they're reading this, this tweet by Greer, and they're going, whoa, whoa, is, is, uh, are we still playing, are we still reading off the same page here, you know, or is, um, is, is something going on, you know, is he taking a turn toward the left? All right. So um, the third reason why many might be in, up in arms about this tweet is this. It's actually inaccurate. 
so let's look at it point by point. First, um, we'll we'll start with the the um, the end of the tweet. I'm going to attempt to pull that tweet back up here, and let's see if I can get it. It wasn't really working for me earlier. Okay, here we go. All right, there we go. Now, so now it's working. So if you're watching on video, you can see this tweet. Here's what it says: Jesus doesn't say, "Take up my teachings." and follow me, or take up my moral code and follow me. He says, take up my cross. Now, the the very first point I want to bring up here is that Jesus doesn't actually say, take up my cross, as though we could bear the cross of Christ. He actually says, take up your cross. And this was pointed out by a user on Twitter. Um, what's his name? Let's see. Okay. Oh, Ronnie Hale pointed that out, um, as did others. Now, this is probably not a major point, but it does show a certain sloppiness in the handling of this text, whereas we're told to rightly divide or rightly handle the word of truth in 2 Timothy 2, 15. So Jesus doesn't say, take up my cross. No, Jesus takes up his cross. We are crucified with Christ, but we're supposed to take up our cross, and every one of us has a particular cross to bear, if you will. That's going to look different for me than it is for um, Michael Jahoski. It's going to look different for me than it is even for my wife. Um, it's going to look it's going to look different for each follower of of Jesus. But yes, we're identifying with Christ. We need to be um, we need to be committed to following Jesus, even to the point of death. But that's a personal commitment, and it again, it's just it's a small inaccuracy, but it shows a little bit of playing fast and loose with the Word of God. I don't think Greer's doing it intentionally, and I don't even know that it necessarily makes a huge difference here, but it does not bode well for the interpretation. Secondly, Jesus doesn't say, uh, uh, sorry, did Jesus say, take up my teachings and follow me? Well, yes, he does. He actually does. So the tweet itself is actually not accurate. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, we have the recorded words of Jesus where he says, take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Now in the ancient world, in the ancient uh, Israelite world, the yoke was a metaphor for teaching or authority. And when a disciple would come under the authority of a rabbi, he was said to be taking his yoke upon him. And I found this article at Christianity.com, which uh, I'll just pull a quote from that. It says, in ancient culture, the word yoke was a term that was used to describe submission. So when someone was described as being yoked to someone or something, it was communicating the idea that he or she was in submission to that person or thing. So to be yoked to Jesus is to serve and obey him. It's it's a um it's a it's a sign of unity. And um now I remember uh when my brother Parker was married, I officiated for his wedding uh to my sister-in-law Julie. And when they were married, they did uh they had this yoking ceremony, which uh is, there's kind of a funny backstory to it. Uh, my brother thought that it was this sort of ancient tradition, this uh, Amish tradition or something, and uh, it really wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, his friend misspoke. And so because I was the officiant, 
the pastor at the time uh, officiating, I came up with a yoking ceremony. I just wrote up a, a yoking ceremony and um, in, integrated that into part of the the ceremony, the wedding ceremony. But it, but they they passed under this yoke, and it was actually this really cool symbolic thing where they were coming together, uh, showing that they were equally yoked, and they were both under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this idea of a yoke symbolizes entering into a covenant and and authority. Um, uh, by the way, Real Android on YouTube, I see your comment. I will get to that in a second. Also, Michael Jahoski, I, I see you've got another uh, comment as well. I'm going to put those up at the end, so stay tuned. Thank you guys for your comments. Now, um, to take up Christ's yoke upon you then is to submit to his authority. He's the Lord, you're not. He's the master, you're the student, you're the disciple. Another word for disciple is a follower or student. In fact, Jesus told his apostles to make disciples in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And what are they to teach those disciples? They're to teach them to obey Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is to obey Jesus. So what, what does that mean? We're becoming students of Jesus. We are to literally take up his teaching. Now, Jesus actually even said that he is the truth in John 14, 6. So if Jesus himself is calling himself the truth in John 14 and commanding his apostles, sending them out and commissioning them to make disciples who will obey everything that Jesus has commanded, clearly Jesus is absolutely wanting us to submit to his teachings, to take up his teachings, and to teach others to do so as well. That's actually what it means to follow him. So, so think about this. Even take up your cross is a teaching. So it doesn't make any sense to pit taking up your cross against taking up Christ's teachings. They're one and the same, uh, or, or, or at the very least, they're inseparable. Now, finally, Jesus doesn't say, take up my moral code. That's what Pastor Peter says. But does he? Well, in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus is literally laying out moral code. And he prefaces that whole section in Matthew 5, 19, I believe, by saying, therefore, this is a quote from Jesus, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, some hold that Jesus is talking about the Old Testament law there? I don't think so. I think I think actually it, it works better and is understood better as a preface for what Jesus is about to teach in Matthew 5 through 7, this what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is literally saying, you better not break these commands. You better um, teach them to others. Don't disregard these commands. Well, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm about to lay out a moral code for you. As a matter of fact, Matthew 5 through 7 contains Jesus's uh, deepening and uh, uh, commenting on it, and I would even say re-giving of something like the Ten Commandments. And uh, more Reformed uh, covenant theologians would say that the Ten Commandments are the moral law of God. I don't know if J.D. Greer is confessional in that way. I don't. I'm, I have no clue. But I'm. I subscribe to New Covenant theology, but. Um, so I wouldn't say that the the Ten Commandments is the uh, is the moral code of God, but um, I would say I would say that um, 
Jesus is giving us a moral code here. And so if you just heard that ringing, I was getting a call on uh, on my messenger. So um forgot to silence that. Oops. So Jesus is giving a moral code and he absolutely wants us to take up that moral code. He says, obey it. In fact, in John 14, 15, Jesus says that obeying his commands is the inevitable byproduct of loving him. So if you love Jesus, you'll take up his moral code. The tweet by Greer is just simply inaccurate. He makes three points. Jesus does not say take up his teachings. Jesus does not say take up his moral code. And Jesus does say take up my cross, quote unquote. And all three of those points are inaccurate. So should we have a problem with this tweet? Yes, we absolutely should. And many Christians responded. Now, I understand what Greer is trying to do here. I even understand why he, in 2019 sermon, why he said the Bible whispers about sexual sin but shouts about religious hypocrisy. What he's trying to do, if I understand him correctly, is he's trying to echo Paul's admonition not to judge those outside the church. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5.12, the Apostle Paul says, you know, what is it? what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? So what Ive Greer is probably trying to do is he's probably trying to turn the microscope or the magnifying glass on us as Christians and say, hey, look, we got to deal with our own sin. All well and good. Perfectly fine. But so so it's it's good to call out religious priggishness and hypocrisy of those who want to judge outsiders rather than letting, quote, judgment begin at the house of God. From uh, That's a quote from 1 Peter 4, 17. Let, let judgment begin at the house of God. I left out a little bit there, but that's what he's saying. However, while the judgment begins with us, it doesn't end with us Christians. The very verse um, in 1 Peter that says that continues, quote, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel of God? End quote. So judgment begins with us, yes and amen, but um, judgment will end with the judgment of of everyone. And and Peter is even saying, man, what's going to happen to those who don't obey the gospel, who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as Savior and Lord? So, uh, and Paul as well. While Paul doesn't judge those outside the church, he makes it clear that one day Jesus will judge them. He says this in Acts 17, 31. He says, he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. In other words, God is going to judge the world by Jesus. And so, um, so yes, there will be a, a coming judgment. The world will be judged. Uh, Romans 2.16, the apostle talks about a day. Here's what he says. On the day when God judges what people have kept secret, according to my gospel, through Jesus Christ. So there will be a coming judgment of the world. Now, um, what does all that mean? How does this relate? I understand Greer's desire to make sure that the, as the church we're judging ourselves, but there's nothing wrong with calling out sin in the world and calling out the sin of non-Christians. We don't judge them. We, we, we can't pass final judgment on them. I have no idea if, you know, I went street preaching recently in uh, New Orleans. I have no clue if the people that I spoke to 
some of whom I got into really good conversations with, will inevitably or eventually repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know. I can't pass judgment on them, but I can absolutely point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ and point them to the coming day of judgment. And and the Apostle Paul, uh, in those passages I read about sexual immorality earlier, he has no problem saying, look, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is that if not calling out sin and even judging sin, if not judging those outside the church? So Greer has to be careful, as we all do do here, because it's all too easy for a preacher or a pastor to go in one of two directions, bad directions. One hand, condemning the world as though the church is totally perfect, you know, like we see fundies do that a lot. On the other hand, um, condemning the church at the exclusion of the world in order to curry favor with the world. And we see wokies do that a lot. So you don't want to be a fundy in that sense, not in the bad sense. You don't want to be a wokey. You don't want to be fundy. You don't want to be wokey. Um, now Greer, many of us are concerned are, is showing signs that he may be going in that second direction. Now we have to make sure that we don't fall into that first pitfall, the fundy pitfall in the process of pointing that out. We don't want to lump Greer in with all the wokies and commies and cast him out into outer darkness. Okay. Greer is a brother in Christ. He's a, he's a pastor. He's, he's a, a man of God. So, so what do we do? We can identify when he goes um, awry in some of his teaching. We can point it out. We can warn. We can instruct one another. But unless someone is straight up apostatized and refuse godly rebuke, we don't throw them out. We're going to see in a minute. That's not Greer's situation. J.D. Greer is not Rob Bell, and we don't need to be telling him farewell. Remember that famous tweet from Jeff Beck, farewell Rob Bell. We don't need to say, uh, farewell, J.D. Greer. Not at this point. And I'm not saying we're ever going to get to that point. I'm praying that we don't. Lord, hear my prayer. So, now for some good news. Okay, for some good news. And um, there is good news, by the way. I want to I pull that document back up, the tweets. Now, look what he says. Look what he says as a follow-up, okay? Here's what Pastor Greer says. He says, sometimes I'm not sure who is questioning in good faith and who is not. Okay, why did he say that? Because a lot of people responded to his uh, to his tweet. Now, some people clarified, look, uh, JD, we're not questioning whether in good faith or bad faith. We're actually critiquing here. We're actually... Um, uh, taking issue with what you said and actually correcting. But, you know, he, he said that people are questioning. Okay, fine. Um, but then he says, giving the benefit of the doubt, taking up Jesus's cross includes taking up Jesus's teachings and moral codes. Of course, the point is Jesus demands more, which is why Jesus said, take up your cross. All right. Now, this is actually a common problem when dealing with re replies on Twitter. It's hard to know who is responding in good faith and who's just trolling. So I'm I'm sympathizing with Pastor JD here. Um, some on Twitter are just trying to tear down. Others are trying to build up and, and actually pursue truth. But what I'm really encouraged by here is that JD says that what he meant was not that Jesus requires less than adopting his instructions and commands, but actually more. 
All right. So, so, uh, JD is, is correcting or, um, at least clarifying himself. And he's now saying that we don't merely adopt beliefs or teachings or a moral code, but we also die to everything that's in an, that's in opposition to Christ and his plan. All right, brother JD, if you ever watch this, not that I expect that you will, but that is very encouraging of you to clarify. Brother, I don't know that that's what you were getting at in your original tweet, but if it was, I'm with you 100%. The reason why so many of us were questioning, critiquing, and, and uh, uh, correcting, even complaining, is because that didn't seem like that's what you were saying in your original tweet. This completely changes the meaning of that first tweet, at least apparently. And we can be very grateful for that. And I say that it changes the meaning because Greer straight up said that Jesus didn't say to take up his followings and follow him or to take up his moral code. He said that. That's not something that we're importing into that or, or eisegeting into that tweet. That's actually what he said. So this clarification, this correction, you know, it didn't come with an apology or whatever. I think people are too quick to apologize to the mob anyway. So I'm fine with that. Um, if he actually thinks that he was saying something wrong, sure, he could apologize. I don't think he has to apologize to me. I think he could just do what he did and and um, clarify or or correct. And I think that he did a great job here. Um, maybe he was covering his tracks. Maybe he was backpedaling. Fine. But at least when he was backpedaling, at least what he said was actually accurate. Um, so, uh, so, so yes and amen to that. To conclude then, J.D. Greer, pastor, president of the SBC, he stepped in it a little bit. He tweeted out something that was inaccurate thrice over, and a lot of people rightly called him out on it. And I'm not saying all the questions or, or corrections were in good faith. There probably a lot of trolls out there, but uh, probably a lot of good faith corrections as well. So what's our takeaway here? One, for you and I, we need to be very careful when handling God's word. This can be a cautionary tale to us. We need to take the words of James very seriously. Not many should become teachers, my brothers. This is a quote, because you know that we will receive stricter judgment, James 3.1. Now, I do think about this. I'm a teacher. I'm a theologian and, and minister of the gospel. And that is very terrifying because I'm going to be held to a stricter judgment than somebody who never opened up his yapper and started pontificating and bloviating about God's word. I don't think that everything I've ever said has been accurate. I very well may have said some inaccuracies in this very episode, but I thank God for his grace through Jesus Christ. And I thank God for his grace that has given me other believers who can call me out and call out other pastors like, uh, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm a former pastor, but but pastors like J.D. Greer when he makes mistakes, when I make a mistake. And the second takeaway then is dealing with the actual text. Following Jesus does mean believing his teachings, taking up his teachings. It does mean obeying his moral code and becoming wholeheartedly committed to him to the point of laying down one's life every day in submission to Jesus. Following Jesus is a head, heart, and whole self-commitment to Jesus Christ. And if you didn't believe I was a Southern Baptist before, did you like that alliteration? That's what I'm talking about, baby. Now, um, uh, let's take a couple of, uh, of comments here. 
and we'll just go ahead and put them up on the screen if you're watching. Um, by the way, if you have a response, if you're listening to this later, if you have a response, go ahead and what you can do is you can, of course, you can always comment on this video and YouTube is the best place to, um, to comment because I'm trying to grow my YouTube channel for one. I'm trying to grow the Think Institute YouTube channel. So go to youtube.com slash thinkinstitute. Um, or you can shoot me an email at thethink.institute at gmail.com. And uh, of course, check out the other episodes of the Think Network at tinyurl.com slash thinknetwork. And while you're there, you can check out all the episodes. There are three of them out right now of Answer Anyone with Cy Ten Bruggenkate. Yes, that's right. Did you know I'm doing a podcast with Cy Ten Bruggenkate? I can't believe it either. Maybe you can't believe it, but the episodes are very good, if I do say so myself. Uh, it has been such an amazing joy to partner with um, Brother Cy in that. Now, you can also partner with the Think Institute and support my family. We're support-raising missionaries. And you can go to give.cru.org slash 101-8841 if you want to partner with us. And I really appreciate all of you folks who have supported us um, as a result of, of, you know, watching the videos, listening to the podcasts, really, really appreciate that. And, um, you can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Gab, and MeWe. All right. Now let's get to those comments. What do we have? What do we have? Okay. Joel Donahue, great name, by the way, Joel says, looks and sounds good. Oh, Hey, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, people are saying, uh, looks good, looking good. All right, good. This is because at the beginning, um, I was having some issues with the video. And uh, yep, I was frozen. Okay, now, Michael Jahoski, who is a friend of the Think Institute and has even come on and talked about the Lord of the Rings. Um, I really enjoyed that episode. And by the way, Michael, the inv invitation still stands. If you're still listening right now, you got to come back on the show, brother, because that was one of my favorite conversations that I've that I've had. Here's what he says. That is very disconcerting. The teachings are caught up in carrying one's cross. Perhaps he's saying we can compartmentalize, which isn't a good direction to go in. Agreed. And thankfully, I do think that he um, he clarified. I think that he, he talked about the inseparable nature of taking up your cross and obeying his teachings. I wish he had said that in the first tweet, but hey, live and learn. Um, and then... Michael Jahoski continued, sounds like he's trying to teach that prescriptive elements of scripture can be understood descriptively, i.e. as culturally relative. Um, and then you also said scripture is the touchstone. Um, yeah. And this is why I, well, I didn't really touch on this, but I am a little concerned about what Pastor Greer may have meant. Taking up your cross, is he... And I don't want to be uncharitable in how I interpret this, but was he alluding to something along the lines of uh, the suffering in this life is redemptive or um, that those who suffer or are oppressed are somehow more Christian or coming from a a, a sort of a, a oxymoronically privileged position, you know, the underprivileged in this life are somehow more privileged in God's sight. You know, the Bible says we shouldn't show favoritism to the poor. It also says don't show favoritism to the rich, but intersectionality, 
is this whole worldview that says those who are oppressed actually have insight that the oppressors don't have. And it sounded a little bit like that's kind of what Pastor Greer was getting at, but then his clarification sort of put my mind at ease with that. So I don't know. I don't know if he's, hmm, I don't know what direction he was going in, but I'm going to take his word for it and accept that clarification as saying, no, that's not the direction he was going in. So all good things there. All right. Uh, Real Android says, do you think these kinds of things eventually leads to apostasy? Here's the thing. It depends. It's a good question. Not always. Biblically speaking, we know that um, in in First John it says, if they went out from us, I'm looking up that verse. And actually, if somebody wants to look that up, uh, feel free to post it in the comments and I'll put it up. If they went out from us, they never really belonged to us. And um, no true believer no true follower of Christ can actually apostatize, apostatize. The reason why is, okay, 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. You know, um, my friend Sai likes to say, if you used to be a Christian, quote unquote, then you never really were a Christian because a Christian is someone whose mind and thinking have been subordinated to Jesus Christ. There's no way to reason your way out of that position. So can someone apostatize in the sense of they used to profess Christianity, faith in Christ, and now they don't? Oh yeah, absolutely. That happens all the time. Talk. Many atheists go under the, the name of ex-evangelical. Why? Because they say they used to be evangelical, and now they're not. Well, the Bible says that they never really were sheep. They were goats, unless it, they repent and come back, in which case we could say, yeah, you know, welcome back. Looks like the shepherd found the lost sheep again. So this is another reason why we don't judge people outside the church, because there's a lot of factors going on, and it's not up to us, thank God, to determine who's ultimately going to make it and who's not. But when people start to drift leftward like this, I, I I think that we can warn, I think that we can teach, I think that we can guide, I think that we can constructively criticize, but I want to be very hesitant to throw people under the bus, simply because Scripture doesn't give us that license. You know, we warn and we correct, and this is why local churches are so important. There is a process of church discipline that culminates in excommunication, and even the excommunication, biblically speaking, is designed to lead them to repentance. Um, but there is a status of treating even a professing believer as an outsider if they get to that point of just straight up apostasy. Um, but it, you have to take that on a case-by-case basis. I'm not going to say that it always leads that way. I think there are, there have been plenty of people recently who have gotten on that woke train and gone in that direction who are now straight up apostates. Um, but do I think J.D. Greer is on that? path? No, I just think that he's, I think that he's incorporating some, uh, false ideas, some, some ideas that stem more from, you know, uh, Karl Marx and Antonio Gramsci as opposed to Jesus and Paul. So 
you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's irreparable. I think he can come back um, and pray for him. Listen, I hope we're praying for for believers when we see them uh, going in these directions. And if you ever see me going in that direction, pray for me, warn me. I want you to. All right, now uh, Mitchell Slater says Matthew five seventeen through nineteen sounds like a moral code to me. Yeah, Amen. Exactly right. There's no question that Jesus wants us to obey His moral code. You're right. By the way, Mitchell Slater wrote a psalm shanty that uh, a, a, a song, a sea shanty psalm that is um, it's a translation of I think Psalm one hundred six, and uh, I sing it with my kids sometimes. Very very good. So if you know Mitchell Slater, uh, reach out to him and um, maybe he'll send you a copy of his Psalm Shanty. It's very, very cool. Very fun. All right. Anyway, listen, that about wraps it up for me. This has gone on long enough, 45 minutes and counting. So um, definitely went longer than I was planning on it. But, um, you know, I think this needed to be addressed and I wanted to be the one to address it. Because the biblical worldview guides our thinking so that we don't have to take pastors and spiritual leaders um, as like our ultimate authority. We have an authority that transcends them. And that authority is Jesus Christ and the Word of God, the the Bible. So uh, we have the Word incarnate and we have the Word inscripturated. So we can be grateful to God for that. I hope this was helpful to you. I I know it was helpful to me to work through these things. And um, quick reminder, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done so. Like us on Facebook, please. Like us on Gab. Give us that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And I will be eternally grateful or at least grateful for a while until I forget. But I'll really appreciate it in that moment. There'll be a lot of gratitude. Um, Thank you. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. Until next time, I hope it made you think.